believe we have an important uh, message before us today, and it, and it begins with an important question. What, what is the American dream? Well, what is the American dream? It can be traced back to our founding fathers and founding documents like the Declaration of Independence in which people are said to be, uh, all people are said to be created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, which include, of course, life, liberty, and the all-important pursuit of happiness, defined by theologian Francis Schaeffer as personal peace and affluence, an ever-increasing affluence. Dream was popularized in a 1931 book by James um, Truslow Adams entitled Epic of America in which he wrote, life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. He goes on to say, regardless of social class or circumstances of birth. Wikipedia defines the American dream as, quote, a national ethos of the United States, the set of ideals in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success, as well as an upward social mobility for the family and children achieved through hard work in a society with few, if any, barriers. That's actually a pretty good definition. I suppose I would summarize it this way, the opportunity for freedom and prosperity for all. Regardless of how you feel about the large immigrant caravan ride at our southern border, I suppose that's why many made the over 2,000-mile trip largely by foot from Guatemala and Honduras in search, of, in search of the elusive American dream. Well, I, I guess enough of sobriety. Uh, of course, in, in preparation for Christmas and your personal pursuit of the dream, let me, as I do each year, share some highlights from this year's Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog. First on the list top-secret mission, become a secret agent in Las Vegas. This exclusive mission will give you the opportunity to work as a secret agent. As special agents, four guests will fly to Las Vegas via private jet for a, don't miss this, three-day, two-night espionage adventure. Arrive at your mission via private jet, helicopter, and limousine, and luxury accommodations at the Waldorf, Waldorf Astoria. The mission will include high-speed drives in, in Ferrari, Lamborghini, and McLaren supercars, shooting handguns, Rifles and machine guns, don't anyone tell Doug he'll be gone. And detonating, exploding targets, shooting guns from a flying helicopter. Adrenaline junkies will love jumping out of a plane at 12,000 feet. During the adventure, you will get fitted for a hand-tailored suit by a master tailor. Enjoy secret dinners, no doubt, with martini shaken, not stirred. Receive exclusive access and VIP tables to nightclubs and be paired with a casino host for high stakes. Gaming, it says. I think they misspelled that. I think they meant gambling. Price, $315,000. Do the math. I did it for you. That's $105,000 a day. And what do you get? Well, a memory, I guess. 
Next, the Serenity Solar Yacht. This exclusive one-of-a-kind 74-foot yacht is the largest solar-powered yacht in the world. The interior is inspired by Neiman Marcus fashion director Ken Downing and includes three levels, full kitchen and four cabins, accommodating up to 12 people, including a crew, a crew of four. Price? $7.1 million. Sign me up. Uh, one more, just because I like it. An animal sculpture by Bjorn Ackham. How do you say that last name? It's Danish. How? how? Whatever. And a trip to Italy. Uh, create your own custom creature uh, to be cast in bronze. Danish sculptor Bjorn, we'll call him, will bring your life-size creation to life. He is best known for fanciful animal sculptures, including his more than 15-foot, remember this is life-size, 15-foot tall bronze hippo ballerina on display in New York City's Lincoln Center. And now, listen, a custom creation can be the centerpiece of your home. You'll fly to France, uh, excuse me, to Florence, Italy, to spend time with the sculptor at his studio, see some, of the most, uh, see some of his most famous pieces, and finalize details of his unique sculpture for you. Perhaps you have a favorite pet that, that you will be merged into a 14-foot tap dancer or something more realistic, like a life-size tribute to your cat. Your custom creation is left to your imagination to create an iconic piece for your home. Price? $200,000 for a 14-foot cat. (laughs) I would suggest that Christmas catalog is not available in Guatemala or Honduras. Where else but the United States and our rather silly American dream? What is it you dream about? What is it that you want wrapped under the tree this year? What is it that you want in your personal pursuit of happiness? What you think will make you happy? What is it for which you would travel 1,500 or 2,000 miles by foot. Interesting to note, the Bible records a similar immigrant journey of 1,600 miles by foot, <laughs> looking forward to the fulfillment of a dream. The difference between this dream and the American dream is the certainty of the one promising its fulfillment. Not founding uh, fathers in a declaration of independence, but a heavenly father in his eternal, inerrant, I cannot lie word. We are in a study of the book of Hebrews, having arrived at chapter 11, that famous hall of faith. The the author is encouraging his readers, a group of Jewish believers who who were facing persecution and as a result considering quitting their new Christian faith. And maybe, just maybe, that's where some of you are. Maybe someone made some promises of prosperity in the Christian life and it has yet to deliver. And you're wondering whether or not it's worth it. And you're considering quitting. Well, this book is for you. It contains many severe warnings, many encouragements in the, in the midst of, uh, of opposition. And also, yet, unfulfilled promises. Really, this is it? So to quit or not to quit, 
and you're right on the precipice. The author turns his attention to a who's who of faith, those who through time remain faithful to, to God despite struggles and, 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 and trials and opposition and unfulfilled promises. To this point, we've seen Abel, who offered a worship of faith and was opposed by his brother to death. Enoch, who lived a a walk of faith in the midst of a very wicked world, and then Noah, who demonstrated a work of faith in the midst of that very same, very wicked world. Bringing us to our text this morning, the beginning of the story of of Abraham and, and Sarah. Let's read it as we continue. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. His was a small, but it was an an immigrant caravan. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, and she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven, in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So again, I ask you, what is that for which you live, for which you dream? Hold out hope. For he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Oh, that would be true of us. This chapter of great heroes of the faith, our our author devotes more time to Abraham than anyone else. Thus far, each of the the first three got a verse each. Abraham's faith is discussed in verses 8 to 19, 12 whole verses, which I guess isn't too surprising. The Jews revered Abraham more than any other. They They were proud to be his descendants. Interestingly, very interestingly, rabbis long taught that Abraham pleased God by his works. They thought God looked down from heaven to earth and saw it and found the most righteous man, and because of his goodness, chose him to be the father of the Hebrew nation. Yet the New Testament teaches Abraham was actually a man of faith who acted in faith. Consider in Romans, Paul was talking about how people are justified, that is, they are declared righteous, not by their works, but by faith. He, he gets to chapter 4 and uses of all, all people as an example of, of faith, Abraham. Listen to, to what he says. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, like the rabbi said, well, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Right out of Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous, you see, by his faith. Paul goes on. In fact, the rest of Romans 4 is about Abraham and his faith. He also writes in Galatians chapter 3, a people that were considering mixing Jesus with works, the law. So then, does he who provide you with the Spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law 
or by hearing with faith. For even so, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us by the way, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying all the nations would, um, will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith, that's us by the way, are blessed with Abraham. Notice what he calls him, the believer. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Scott, the believer. I could go on, much is written in the New Testament about the faith of Abraham to include our text in Hebrews. And so writing to these Jewish believers who were considering abandoning Jesus, returning to the law, the author writes to say, listen, even the, your patriarch Abraham was a man of faith. Returning to the law will do you no good. So be like your father Abraham. How? Look at the text with me with this outline. By faith, Abraham departed. By faith, Abraham believed. And by faith, Abraham persevered. And by faith, Abraham and Sarah conceived. And we see once again, these people made it into the hall of faith because they lived by faith. Verse 8 tells us, by faith, Abraham departed. That is, he left his homeland. He became an immigrant. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, went out not knowing where he was going. Several thoughts about that. First, Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern southern uh, Iraq. It's always interesting to me that everybody in the Middle East, all the Middle Eastern nations are so opposed to and, and, and hate so much the Jews. They're relatives. Abraham was originally an Iraqi. Contrary to what the rabbis taught, Abraham, Abraham was not a righteous man who worshiped the only true and living God. Quite the contrary. Joshua 24 says, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, that is the Euphrates, in Ur, that's what he's talking about, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, his brother, and they together served other gods. They served other gods, that includes Abraham. Those other gods would likely have been Anu, the sky god, Enlil, the air god, Inki, that's kind of a neat name if you're looking for a name for your boy, Inki, the earth and, and water god, Nana, for those of you who go by Nana, the moon god, and Utu, the sun god. He worshipped false gods. Familiar verse in Isaiah 51, we've all heard it, perhaps even quoted it. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. And we often think, remember who you were before God saved you and rescued you from the pit of your own making, the rock and quarry from which you were dug. And I suppose that's fine, but the context is remember Abraham and Sarah from which you came. They were not worshipers of the true God, but God chose them anyway. He sovereignly chose Abraham and, and gave him a, a promise, which Abraham believed. And God credited that to him as righteousness. By faith, by the way, not by his righteousness. He didn't have any. He was a false worshiper. So Abraham is hanging out in Ur when God appears to him and tells him to leave and to go to a place God would show him. 
We read about this in Genesis 12. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and and from your father's house to the land I will show you. Where? Just go west, young man. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth, that includes us, will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, it seems from that text that God appeared to Abraham in Haran, which is a little over, put a map up, which is a little over halfway from Ur to Canaan. So that's a little bit confusing. But Stephen shed some light in his Old Testament survey speech in Acts chapter 7. It seems that God appeared to Abraham first while he was still living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham then took his father Terah, his brothers Nahor and Haran, to to include his nephew Lot and his wife Sarah, and they traveled as far as Haran. Then after his father died, Haran died, he, he left his still living brother, took his wife and his orphan nephew Lot, and they traveled further to Canaan. But here's some things that I want you to see. First, the wording in Hebrews 11 is such that when he was called, or more literally, as he was being called, Abraham obeyed. It seems like the command had hardly left God's mouth and Abraham was packing. Now, it is true he was to leave his father's household and he seems to have taken that household with them, and they only made it to Iran. Regardless, the authors of Scripture point to Abraham's immediate, albeit incomplete, but immediate obedience. And I wonder how much God has to speak to us before we obey. I'm just wondering. You know, as you're, as you, as you're reading the Scripture and you see something that you ought to be doing, you think, I, you know, I need to get to that one day. Or you're reading the Scripture and you think, you know, I need to, I need to stop doing that w- one day. And I want to remind you that delayed obedience is nothing less than just disobedience. God spoke and Abraham left. <laughs> Can you imagine what it was like as he's packing? His friends kind of come around and say, oh, Abraham, where are you going? I mean, what are you doing? Packing? Why? We're moving. Really? Where? West. Where west? I have no idea. Why? What's wrong with you? God told me to go. Oh, why didn't you say so? Which one? Nana? Utu? Inky? No. Yahweh. What? Who? Abraham obeyed and went to a place he would later, well, this was the promise anyway. He would later receive as an inheritance, even though he did not know where he was going. And then we remember the definition of faith from verse 1 of this chapter, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, Abraham becomes an example of that. He believed God and went to a place he had never seen. You do understand there were no such thing as travel agents or travel brochures. He had no idea where he was going. He simply obeyed by faith and trusted God. Who expects the same of us? Immediate obedience, even if it makes no sense. Brings us to verse 9. By faith, Abraham believed. Don't miss what verse 9 says. By faith, he lived as an alien, that is a stranger, in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs according to the promise. When Abraham got to Canaan, God said, I think it's in Genesis chapter 13, this is it. 
Take a look around. Lift up your eyes and look to the north, to the south, the east, to the west. All that you, can, that you can see will be yours. And by the way, he goes on to make the same promise to Isaac and then, and then to Jacob. But a careful reading of the book of Genesis reveals that they never received the promised land. And by the way, you might be interested to know, this is the only place in the Bible that refers to it as the land of promise. The author here is highlighting a challenge. You see, Genesis 12 promises the land to uh, Abraham and his heirs. His heirs received the same promise. And yet the only land that Abraham actually ever owned was the burial plot that he bought to bury Sarah when she died. His grandson Jacob, he ends up leaving the land of promise for Egypt. The book of Genesis ends with Jacob in Egypt. Actually dead in Egypt. And his son Joseph in a coffin. So much for the promise. Further, this verse in Hebrews 11 highlights the transitory nature of Abraham's sojourn in Canaan. He's called an alien in the land of promise. That doesn't sound like a permanent resident, like he belonged there. It almost almost sounds like he's an illegal alien. He lived in a foreign land. The emphasis being it was not his homeland. It was foreign to him. Further, he lived in tents, moving from place to place. No permanent dwellings in the cities. There were cities there. He didn't live in the cities, you see. Finally, they they were all fellow heirs of the promise, but when they died, they were still heirs. They had not received the land promise. In fact, verse 13, next week, we'll, we'll say, all these died in faith without receiving the promise. Does that sound anything like your life? Stephen's Old Testament survey in Acts 7, he actually said, but God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. This is all you got? How? How did Abraham continue to live by faith having not received the things promised? Point three, verse 10. Abraham persevered because he knew the promise was ultimately not about the earthly land of Canaan. Oh, that we would get that. Even Canaan was simply a type of the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. How I wish we would understand and live that way. And all of a sudden, this American dream would not be so important. Why is it that we live as though this is all there is? As if a nice house, a couple of nice cars, a picket fence, a solar yacht, a trip to Vegas, a 14-foot statue of a cat would be ultimately satisfying and fulfilling. Talk to people who have achieved it. See if it is. How is it that as people of faith, we are so easily distracted by the stuff of this life? Can I suggest to you this morning that we too are people who live in tents? You say, you've not been to my house. Can I remind you that one day your house will lie in ruins? 
We too are people who live in tents. How so? Because this place is not our home. How could Abraham do it? 4 verse 10, he was looking for, eagerly awaiting is the idea, a city who has foundations, which speaks of stability, unshakable permanence, unlike our houses, as opposed to temporary tents. A city whose architect and builder is God, which means he is both the one who designs it and builds it. Here's the point. Abraham lived with an eternal perspective. The fulfillment of physical land, physical stuff here was nothing compared to the promise of the city to come. And the city to come becomes an important focus for the author in the rest of this book. And oh, my brothers and sisters, how I wish it would become an important focus for us. It's the city to come. We are not living for what we can acquire here. Hebrews 12 will say, but But you have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels, general assembly, and church of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and spirits of the righteous made perfect, how so? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's what you've got. Why are you looking at your bank account? Why are you looking at your title deeds? Why are we so distracted? Hebrews 13, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Is that what you live for? Is that your dream? Is that what you hope for? Build your life around the city to come. Do do you dream of mansions beyond your wildest imagination? Let me help you with that. Let me read to you of our inheritance. In my father's house, there's a place for me. We sang it. Nice tune. Do you believe it? Let me read to you about your inheritance found in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, everything that we fight for with everything that we've got passed away. No longer any sea, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle is the tent. The, The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's what you get. How does that compare to what you want really badly right now? You get God. He will wipe away tears, no longer death, mourning, crying, pain. First things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. That's your inheritance. That's what awaits you. Do you believe it? Write these things because they are These words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will come. 
I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. It's free to those who believe. He who overcomes will inherit these things. This is your inheritance. I will be his God and he will be my son. That is the inheritance that awaits us. The city whose architect and builder is God. That makes paltry the American dream. And I want you to understand that this promise has an eternal assurance for those who believe. It is something worth living for. I know I peg it all of the time, but you see, this is, the prosperi- this is what the prosperity uh, gospel gets wrong. It gets, it gets it wrong, significantly wrong, in two ways. First, they promise prosperity now. <laughs> and it is not now. You want me to preach the prosperity gospel to you? Here it is. It is to come. What do you get now? Suffering. Secondly, they promise prosperity and stuff. You give, make me rich, and then you get more stuff. And the ultimate prosperity is this. We get God. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is the sure dream for which we live. Very quickly, I'm out of time. We see by faith Abraham and Sarah conceived Verses 11 and 12, you're likely familiar with the story anyway. When they moved to Canaan, Abraham was 75, Sarah about 65. Sarah was barren, that is, she had no children. And yet the the promise was that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that his descendants would number the the stars of the sky, the sand, and the seashore. By the way, the name Abraham, remember I told you last week or last couple of weeks that the names meant something? Abram means exalted father. His name was changed in Genesis 17 to Abraham, which means (laughs) father of a multitude. Can you imagine the neighborhood barbecue? These immigrants show up, so they're going to welcome them. Let's have a barbecue. Hi, how you doing? I'm John. What's your name? Abraham. (laughs) Father of many. How many children do you have? None. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? And yet God promised. And in Genesis 15, we read Abraham believed God about that particular promise, and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verses 11 and 12 indicate both Sarah, uh, who initially laughed, by the way, and Abraham considered the one who made the promise faithful. And when they were beyond childbearing years, she'd be on the proper time of life for having children. He is good as dead. They were given the ability or the power to conceive. (laughs) <laughs> they had Isaac when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was about 90, maybe 91. And, and the rest is history. Their descendants do indeed number the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore because you see, it's not just those who have the Jewish blood coursing through their veins. It's all of those who believe, you see. Abraham is our father. This was the promise. But I want to remind you that they did not see that either. Sarah was, I mean, Sarah died with one son of promise, Isaac. Multitude? Isaac. Abraham died with one son of promise, yes, who had a couple of twins, but only one of them was a son of promise, so he had one son and one grandson. Hardly a multitude, but they believed God. And by faith, they left Ur and moved to Canaan, even though they didn't know where they were going. By faith, they believed God about inheriting the land, even though they never did. Thinking about quitting, are you? 
By faith, they conceived and had a single son. How in the world did they do all of that? Because by faith, they looked for something better to come, even though they died without receiving the promises. Do you see the point the author is making? We can live by faith if we, if we live undistracted lives, eyes focused on the promises, whether we receive them in this life or not. It doesn't matter because he who promised is faithful and we can trust him.